serial killer no one expected, a wolf in sheep's clothing. His crimes targeted people in a marginalized community, using his authority to gain trust and evade suspicion. This is South Texas Crime Stories, the Border Patrol serial killer. In September of 2018, a monster was on the loose in Laredo, one that no one expected, a Border Patrol agent named Juan David Ortiz. September 3, 2018, 29-year-old Melissa Ramirez was working as a sex worker in Laredo. According to court records, she was picked up by Ortiz and taken out of the city. Ramirez had Ortiz pull off to the side of the road so she could use the restroom. That's when he turned. Ortiz shot Ramirez in the back of the head several times and left her there. A rancher found her lying in the dirt. Ramirez's death was investigated by several agencies, including the Texas Rangers, but no arrests were immediately made. Ten days later, another victim. A trucker was driving and saw 42-year-old Claudine Ann Luera hurt badly on the side of the road. She was taken to the hospital where she later died. Luera was also a known sex worker. She was picked up by Ortiz but was nervous because he was the last person known to see Ramirez. Court documents show Ortiz pulled over and shot Luera multiple times in the head. His deadly pattern was forming and his time between victims shortening. Just a day later, another sex worker was picked up by Ortiz. In an affidavit, Erica Pena said Ortiz started to act weird whenever she brought up Ramirez and it made her nervous. Pena threw up in Ortiz's front yard and he started to take her to a gas station. During the ride, Pena brought up Ramirez again. Ortiz pulled out a handgun and pointed it at her. She says she screamed for help and Ortiz grabbed her shirt, ripping it off of her as she tried to get out of his truck. Pena ran to a DPS trooper, pumping gas, screaming that a man was trying to kill her. A Border Patrol agent named David. Her escape was a break in the case. Police finally had their suspect. Investigators raced to Ortiz's home. They didn't find him, but they did find a stash of weapons. Just one day later, Ortiz was spotted at a gas station by a DPS trooper. He took off and went to a hotel parking garage. After an hour, he surrendered. Once inside the interrogation room, Ortiz said he had killed two more people right after Peña escaped. Those victims have been identified as 35-year-old Giselda Hernandez and 28-year-old Janelle Ortiz, a trans woman. Ortiz explained he took both women to an area off I-35 north of Laredo and shot them. Ortiz is charged with capital murder and aggravated assault charges for the murders of four women and the attack of a fifth. He's being held on a $2.5 million bond and is being kept on suicide watch. While the Border Patrol serial killer is off the streets, the story is far from over. Hey, it's meteorologist Sarah Spike and meteorologist Katie Blake. We bring 
bring you the weather on KSAT 12 News, but there's a lot more to meteorology than just the forecast. We love to talk about all things climate, environment, science, and we even love to answer your viewer questions. And we need more than a few minutes on television to dive into it all. So we invite you to check out our podcast, Whatever the Weather. You can find interesting and informative episodes on topics like hurricanes, winter weather, drought, hail, and much more. But of course, we also have some fun debunking weather myths and folklore and sharing what it's like to work in this field. Find this KSAT and Weather Authority original podcast wherever you get your audio. And check out the video version on KSAT.com, KSAT Plus, and YouTube. Just search whatever Whatever the the weather. weather. So Lee, this story is just, it's hard to hear. And it's hard to understand why someone of this authority would do something like this. Right, especially to a group that already is marginalized in our society, sex workers, be that prostitution, strippers, anything like that. They already don't have a sense of security a lot of times if a crime is happening to them to feel comfortable to report that. Yeah, so as we said, you know, his story is far from over is because Ortiz has not gone to trial in this case yet. He has pleaded not guilty to the capital murder charges. If he is convicted, he could face the death penalty. This is a death penalty case out of Webb County. He does have a trial coming up. He is being represented by attorneys Joel Perez and Raymond Fuchs. Now, if you think those names sound familiar, is because those are the two San Antonio defense attorneys that represented Otis McCain last year in the trial of him shooting SAPD detective Benjamin Marconi. Yeah, so very high-profile lawyers who have taken on this case, and they've already taken on high-profile cases before. What's interesting to me is the fact he's saying, I'm not guilty, I didn't do it, yet he got into an investigation room and sang like a canary and said, yep, I killed these people. Which was also the same case as the Otis McCain. He was in an investigation room and admitted to shooting Detective Marconi, but yet pled not guilty. And I'm not sure if this is just to try to save them from the death penalty. I don't know what a defense strategy would be here. Um, And that's maybe something we can look at later is what is a defense strategy for a case like this. But yeah, it is another high profile case. And recently, um, Joel Perez filed a motion in Webb County to have this trial moved out of Webb County, which we could all understand. I mean, it would would be hard, I think, to pick a jury, a fair jury in Webb County with such a high-profile case like this. Um, whether that trial is moved or not, the judge has not decided yet. So could it be moved to San Antonio? We won't know until possibly in August when the judge rules on that motion. And the girl over here with the courts, she'll keep you updated. I'll be all over it. This is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And if it does come here to San Antonio, because we were talking beforehand, it's such a high profile case. I think you'd even have some difficulty finding a fair and unbiased jury here because people were focused on that. It was a big issue. Yeah. And, and the fact that he was a Border Patrol agent, it, it this case went national when it happened because it was just like, wait, who did these crimes? an actual law enforcement member who people trust. And it seemed like these women trusted him. And they all seemed to have known each other too because they all went back to asking him about that first initial victim. 
Right, exactly. So let's get into more of Ortiz's background because he has a very interesting background. It seems like he grew up in a very structured way. Um, he grew up in Texas and enlisted in the Navy on July 5th, 2001, right after he turned 18. So immediately he went into that structured lifestyle of, of a military person. Um, he was a combat medic and served in the Navy for about eight years. And after coming out of the military, he actually applied to be with the SAPD here in San Antonio. And I think he was accepted, but ended up turning down that that acceptance. Yeah, he ended up writing a letter saying, respectfully, I appreciate the acceptance into the academy. Um, I'm going to go into the Border Patrol instead. They're gonna take my military time and I can retire in just 12 years. So it was a decision he felt was best for his prof professional life, but he was accepted into SAPD and, and we have those letters on our website, ksat.com. And he also was kind of living a double life at the time because he was married, he did have a family. And it's not like he was some just single guy who didn't have you know someone to go home to. It was almost like he was living this double life for his own family. Exactly. I wonder who actually truly knew who Juan David Ortiz was or if he even knew who he was. It's it's a very interesting case. Um, and more on his background, a Texas Monthly article had a really interesting article. It was a very telling article as well. His first attorney, Joey Diaz, said that the VA had diagnosed Ortiz with PTSD and the drugs they prescribed to him had messed him up. So I guess that's what they're using as a defense. Yeah, that was from his original attorney that looked to be the defense they were going to try and use. They also talked a little bit more about that motive that he had. And he almost, I think, saw himself as a vigilante because his motive was trying to get rid of all of the sex workers as a way to clean up the streets of Laredo. As a person who used to live in Laredo, my first job was in Laredo, I think every city has its crime areas, its problems, but I never saw Laredo as a place of like, we need to clean this up, the streets are infested. Maybe I wasn't in those parts of the city or I didn't see it. I mean, I was working in news at the time covering courts, but for him to use that as a motive Something wasn't right there for me. Right. It just it, it seems like he elevated himself onto this platform like I'm going to be in charge now. I'm going to take care of this city. I'm going to clear everything out and I'm going to make it better. You're working in a form of law enforcement. That's already your your job is, is to help this community. It just something's not clicking right in his head that he feels the need to go this extra step, this extra wrong step. Yeah, and then I he abused his power. He definitely abused his power as he, you know, started talking to these women, got them to trust him enough to get in his vehicle, in his personal vehicle. He wasn't even actually speaking to them as a, as a Border Patrol agent. He was speaking to them as almost as a civilian, saying, hey, get in my truck, let's talk, let's be friends almost. I don't know if any of his motives or what he they're trying to explain as a defense will actually fly in a courtroom. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they present this case. And we touched a little bit on it in the beginning about how this is a marginalized group, um, people who are sex workers. And we have some statistics from 
urbanjustice.org, um, looking at a kind of a fact sheet that they put out about sexual violence against sex workers. So we're going to kind of go through some of this information right now. Um, sex workers are vulnerable to sexual violence, especially sex workers of color, migrants, and transgender. That's I think is significant because we saw all three of those factors at play with this case. That's just what the demographic is in Laredo. And like you said, it touches upon all three of, of those statistics. Now, limited options to report violence. Most are reluctant to go to the police, which is another way of seeing that this is a marginalized community and why he may have just cornered those women because of who they were. Right. Exactly. I, I think it's it's telling that, you know, they had all these different agencies investigating when when Ramirez was killed. Nothing ever really came up of it. And he felt so comfortable. He struck again 10 days later and then ramped up the level of his attacks and the the distance between those attacks. Yeah. And, and why we say he's a serial killer, just so we can put that a description of a serial killer is somebody who has killed more than three persons, which in this case was four and could have possibly been five um, had that fifth person not gotten away. Um, but just so you understand, this is what was going on. When that first case happened, he became a serial killer literally in a matter of like two to three weeks. Yeah. And I don't think he had a whole lot of remorse for it. Um, globally, sex workers have a 45% to 75% chance of experiencing sexual violence on the job. That's almost 50 to 75% of, of them who are more than likely going to experience that sexual violence. People say it's a high-risk lifestyle, but still, you don't know the circumstances into which they felt the need to get into that lifestyle. We don't know their family circumstances. And to know that more likely than not, they're going to have violence inflicted upon them because of this, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and in December 17th, it is recognized as an international day to end violence against sex workers. So that, of course, is something that is recognized every year and something that pertains to this to ca this case very closely. Right. And, and when looking at this case and looking at these victims, I think it's so important that people still recognize that these are victims. They were innocent in this. They didn't ask for it. Their line of work didn't make them ask for it. So it's something that people still need to have that sensitivity and their condolences to the victims of this crime because it's horrendous what happened to them. Yeah. Pushing ahead on this on this case itself, like I said, a ruling should be coming down between now and August on whether this motion will be granted or not, to move it out of Webb County. Also, regardless whether it's moved or not, it looks like they're going to be picking a jury for this case by the end of August, early September. So we should be in this trial by September, and it will be one we, of course, follow, whether it's in Bear County or not. I think it's, it's something we're going to keep track of because of just how high profile this case is. And this is really a case of a modern-day serial killer. Exactly. So that's something to keep up on with KSAT.com on air, online, everything. Get your little app downloaded. Follow our podcast because we'll give you an update. I think all the good stuff there. Yeah, we'll have a lot more ahead on this. This is like you said, when we put it here, the story is far from over and it'll be really interesting to see what details come out. Further details come out when this trial actually begins. But I want to thank you all for listening to this latest episode of South Texas Crime Stories. We have another good one coming up next week. Stay tuned.